You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today I am so excited that it is our 100th episode. Things are going to look a little different around here today. I thought that I would switch things up, and as per some of your requests, I have invited my hubby to be on the show. If you're trying to picture who that is, you probably haven't even seen him before because he's pretty reserved doesn't have Instagram, is pretty private, and somehow I got him to agree to come and answer your questions that you submitted. I opened up a question box in my stories on Instagram and told you to go for it. Ask him anything you might want to know. I gathered all those questions and I went through them in our first ever joint podcast interview. I mean, I feel like we're kind of (laughs) boring, an average kind of couple, but we do get into our postpartum experience, what it was like for him when I went through postpartum depression, especially I recount the day that it all came crashing down for me. We ask him about his reaction each time he found out I was pregnant. Lots of fun things that I actually don't typically ask him or get to talk with him about. So I wanted to invite you into our world a little bit that you could get to know us and we could celebrate this 100th episode together. Let's hear my conversation with my hubby for now. Hey mamas, Erica here. I don't know about you, but I spent my time before baby's arrival prepping things like the nursery and shopping online for clothes and all the baby gear when really what I needed to be preparing for was my adjustment into motherhood or my postpartum experience. What I truly needed was a birth plan for mom. And guess what? I've created the resource I wish I had. A child isn't the only one who needs care and support during the postpartum period. It is so important that we learn to mother the mother, and in this case, for you to learn how to cultivate your own inner mother and nurture yourself in the postpartum period. And the postpartum prep list that I created helps you to do just that. It will help you to think through and prioritize your needs in the postpartum period, as well as educate you on any of the red flags or things to be mindful of in terms of postpartum depression, anxiety, or intrusive thoughts. It is a 20-page substantial resource and it is completely free. This is something I wish I had and I want all moms to have so they feel empowered and prepared to go into whether it's their first time birth experience or adding siblings and additional members of their family. This resource is for anyone going through that transition. You can find it at happyasamother.co slash prep list. It's happyasamother.co slash P-R-E-P list. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, 
and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. For now, thank you so much for joining the show today. I feel like coordinating mining your schedule has been equally, if not more challenging than half the guests I bring on because our schedules are wild. So thank you. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. (laughs) This is going to be really interesting because you are a super private person. You don't even have Instagram. You never post on social media. And here we are, married to one another. I live my life on social media. I have a platform and a following. And you're just along for this ride with me, I guess. Well, you are doing what you're passionate about. And thankfully, (laughs) you let me stay in the shade. (laughs) (laughs) So it works out. Yeah. Why don't we start with, because you are so private and because you don't show up on, you know, social media or much often, why don't we do a little like, would you rather so we can like get us warmed up and let people get to know you a little bit. Uh, and I'm totally winging this. So we're going to see what comes out of this. I'm not sure. Is would you rather do this one of the questions? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's okay. no options. My rules here, friend, <laughs> you are on my show, my rules. So would you rather the beach or the mountains? The beach. The beach? Because I can stay in the shade and read a good book. (laughs) The shade part is key. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The mountains, I feel like I have to climb and I have to be active. And I'm active enough as it is. So I'm assuming it's a vacation. I want to be in the shade with a good book. Okay. Would you rather clean up a poop blowout or somebody throwing up? It's a good question. I feel like I've done both. You totally have done both. But I'm a germaphobe. So <laughs> I'd rather do the throwing up than the feces. Really? Uh, throwing up makes me also like, bleh. would you rather clean or cook? Depends on what we're cooking and how much cleaning is involved. If you're talking about cleaning the whole house versus making grilled cheese, I'll take the grilled cheese. <laughs> this is actually something that comes up in interviews a lot is how we have like almost a bit of a role reversal in some areas. Like I say role reversal, not that there even needs to be clearly defined roles. Like we have a really fluid way that we share things throughout the house. So in terms of a lot of the household responsibilities, like laundry and I don't even know so many things refilling and restocking and grocery shopping you do the majority of those things so I feel like and you do a lot of the cooking like you do a lot of those things well the bottom line is there's only two of us and there's a lot to be done right so what I don't do you do and vice versa so going back to your example of earlier the easy thing is to do the grilled cheese versus cleaning the whole house but the reality is chances are if we clean the whole house is because guests are coming (laughs) So true. <laughs> so at some point, I'll have to put the grilled cheese aside while the kids are eating and assist and making sure that it's ready in time for the guests. Because mm-hmm. as a team, we have to. Yeah, it really is a team effort around here. And with the different seasons in our lives, like in postpartum, when I was on maternity leave, I probably shouldered a lot of the like household and kid responsibilities. 
And now a lot of that has shifted to you because my business is so busy and you've had a corporate retirement, which we might somebody asked about. So we're going to get into some of these questions so people can get to know you. One of the funniest questions that I saw come through and it just made me chuckle because there's a bit of a story behind it is like, what was your first thought when I said, I want to start a podcast? (laughs) I won't lie. I was surprised simply because I've been listening to podcasts since at least 2012, 2013. And you've always made fun of me (laughs) when I mention, we're talking about a topic and I say, oh, I heard this in a podcast and I, I go into the details. And you'll make fun of me because I'm always listening to podcasts. Yeah. And then you took a course or a training where podcast was recommended and I helped you set up your feed <laughs> so that you can get the podcast. Within two weeks, you had subscribed to at least 10 additional podcasts. And then you told me you wanted to do yours. So short version, <laughs> you went from zero to 100 real quick. As do most <laughs> things with me, I feel. Yeah. Most things do. But I knew that you were experimenting and you're trying to figure out what you like to do, what you don't. And the only way to do that is to try. The only way to know what you like and what you don't like is to give it an an honest chance, right? So I knew when you said, I want to start a podcast, I'm like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) And knowing that it was an experiment, if you like it, you stick to it. But if you don't like it, you'll figure out quick enough that this is not for me and move on to something else. Yeah, I would say you've ridden a few of those interest and creative waves with me where I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm becoming a photographer. And then, you know, I acquire the skill and I love the skill and then it tapers out and doesn't necessarily stick. But clearly here we are on our hundredth episode (laughs) of the podcast. So in this instance, I can say, I told you so. I knew that I would stick with this <laughs> this particular one. But that's interesting. It was never about whether you stick to it. It was more, it's an interest of yours at the moment. You'll pick up the skill set yeah. and then you will decide for yourself if that's something you want to pursue and continue or if it's yet another, you know, I don't want to say notch on your belt, but like another skill that you have in your tool belt Yeah. before moving on figuring out what you are truly passionate about. But when you started interviewing people and I saw how much you love the connection, the conversations, I knew that, and when you made it part of your business, of your platform, I knew, okay, this is something that she's sticking with. Yeah. And sort of eating my own words because you had this setup in our like office slash also was our bedroom in our, you know, tiny townhome. I called it like the this like nerd setup of all these monitors with all of these like tech gadgets. And then this became my podcasting space. And I had to totally like come back, you know, tail between my legs. Like, um, can I borrow your like nerdy stuff so that I can start the podcast? So yeah, kind of funny how it evolved because you were totally like the podcast connoisseur. And then here I was launching the podcast. I would say it worked out. Simply because, yes, I'm the tech guy and I had the tech set up. I had like the multiple monitors, the big, um, powerful computer and, you know, all the gadgets, but I wasn't using it. Yeah. I was pretty much at work or home doing other things. And I felt like the setup is there, but it's going to waste. So when you pick up a passion that makes good use of it, I felt like it it made sense. And I was like, oh, look, like 
you know, sometimes you do something you don't fully realize until after the fact, oh, this is why mm. it was just a setup for this. You know, mm -hmm. that's how it felt to me. It felt like a waste, but then you picked it up and I'm like, okay, this, this makes sense. Now mm. I, looking back, at, I see why it was beneficial, why it had to be done, so to speak. Yeah. And well, and that's one thing about you is like, you are so willing to like, share and you know offer things like your food or your seat or you're just like very generous in that way someone touches my food and I'm like who what what get out of here don't touch my stuff but you've always been very um like generous in that way another question sort of similar to this that people were really interested in is like what is it like to be married to a therapist it's a good question for the most part, I'll say I don't really feel like I'm married to a therapist in the sense that... You're my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that... <laughs> Which is funny because it's true, but yeah, continue. I was going to say, <laughs> in the sense that you don't... Um, I don't feel like you have psychoanalyzing me, or maybe you're very subtle about it, but at least I don't feel like it's the case. You don't ask me, and how does that make you feel <laughs> with like a notebook in the corner taking notes? That's not at all how it is. I'll say I felt it more when we were dating or when you were um, mm. doing your master's mm -hmm. because you had all those quizzes <laughs> and all those <laughs> inventories and tests. Yeah, exactly. At that point, I was subjected to so many of those inventories, quizzes, tests that I it was evident that this is a passion of yours. This is what you're getting into. Once you got in the field, well, you were already in the field, but once school was over, it wasn't quite as prevalent. I will say there are different types of therapists. And thankfully, you worked not so much now, but in the past, you have experience working with kids mm. so you are very well attuned to their needs to development stages and things that i know nothing about so i found that really helpful because i can lean on your expertise on those matters you will say well he's only three-year-old he's not supposed to know that yet i'm like okay well maybe i'm comparing him to his five-year-old brother, brother mm. and i feel like he should be there or he's throwing a tantrum this is the real reason. And you do that a lot with our second one. Yeah. When, let's say, we're having a conversation and he starts being quite noisy. I'm thinking, what's going on? But you're saying, oh, it's because we're having a conversation and he's feeling left out. That would have never crossed my mind. Right. right? But right. with your background, you're able to pick up on it. So from that perspective, it's very helpful. It's interesting. I can see how it, it can be a double-edged sword at times when I might want to be like interject on a way that you're parenting. And this is something that I think I'm really open about too. Like, you know, what was that? Like an overstep is something I think that I'm conscious of and that we have open dialogue about. Like, do you want this feedback or do you not? Like, is this too much feedback, not enough? Or like, how can I help you in this moment, right? Because I can see how being the one that has more training in this area, like I might want to just like go into a situation and like take over the situation rather than let you find your own way with like our middle son or the boys generally speaking. So I think that it's a lot of work for me to, not a lot of work, but like it's important for me to keep in mind letting you have the space to wrestle with it and figure it out. 
Yes. And we've had, I don't remember when exactly, but we've had those conversations a few times. And one of the things I appreciate is when there is a disruption, somebody is being, you know, crying or something is going on. Often you will ask me if I want you to jump in and I'll say yes or no. Right. Some cases I'll say, come get your child. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he becomes my child in <laughs> yes, that moment. Yeah, exactly. Erica, <laughs> come get your child. Um, in some cases, that's what happens. But in others, I feel like it's important for me to finish what I started or he is receptive to you, but not to me. And we need to get past that. We need to get through that. If yeah. you come, if you jump in at every opportunity, we'll never get a chance to figure that out. So usually you wait a bit and then you ask me if I want you to jump in. Yeah. In some cases, it's yes. In other cases, like, no, we need to figure this out on our own. Yeah. So well, uh, and I think that that goes both ways. Like there are times when I'm at my peak and I'm like, come get your boy because I'm going to flip out, you know, and, and we're good at, I think, recognizing that and playing again. Like we make a really good team. All right. What other questions? So I had put out the feelers for what people wanted to know about you and what questions they had in Instagram stories and gathered a bunch of questions. So these questions that I'm asking for now are coming directly from listeners and people on social media. Can I give a disclaimer? (laughs) 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 To anybody who's listening, because your audience is used to having those, you know, professionals (laughs) that are at the top of the field. They have books, PhDs and whatnot, and they drop those nuggets of wisdoms and people are attentively paying attention, feeling like it's going to change their lives or improve their lives in some way. This is not <laughs> This is not one of those episodes. No, you can safely put the pen down. This, you don't need to take notes on this. So I can answer the questions, but it's going to be based on my experience right. as somebody who has absolutely no training <laughs> in the matter whatsoever. Yes, I think that the questions are really geared towards people wanting to understand your experience and particularly like what it was like adjusting to fatherhood and going through the experience of my postpartum depression with me. I talk a lot about the day when it all came crashing down, so to speak, right? And I really distinctly remember that day and what happened. And, you know, I was trying to get the kids out of the house. And then the van door, pulley system on the van door broke. And I was trying to get to the gym because the gym was the only thing that gave me any sort of relief from how I was feeling at the time. It was the one thing I had in postpartum that was for me. And I had these three little kids, three years and under, that I was trying to rush out of the house so I could make it to like an 8 or 9 a.m. gym class. And I go out and the van door breaks. And then I'm like, you know what? It's okay. Like I'll still, like I can close it for now. I'll call the mechanic later. Like I can make it to the gym. And then I go and I get pulled over by a cop for speeding. And this cop like throws the book at me with like all these tickets. And I just lost it. Rage, anger, sadness. Like there was moments of sadness and not feeling like myself leading up to this, but this was really like the big moment that I knew, okay, like this is not me. Like I'm not myself. And I called you like hysterical and you lived, no, not lived. You worked. (laughs) Felt like you lived there sometimes because of how far away it was, but you worked um, downtown Toronto, which was an hour and a half commute either way. So you were three hours just commuting. So you had a 12 hour day away at work and and I called you just like, like hysterical, like I can't do this anymore. And 
people want to know, like, what was your, like, okay, cut to Fresnel's scene, right? Like, what what happened for you in those moments that your wife is calling you saying, like, all of this just is happening and I'm not, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's interesting because you remember that day much more vividly than I do. Yeah. In a lot of cases, you're the one that reminded me what actually happened. What I remember from my perspective, I was at work. I believe I was getting ready for a meeting, you know, you know, work stuff, like right? Corporate, yeah. Exactly. When I got the call. And well, the first thing that strikes you is the voice, right? The fact that you are having difficulty breathing and there's a panic situation. So whatever like before hearing the words, you know this is serious. Yeah. And then I don't remember if I had if I fully caught on what was going on, I believe yes. At first, no, but we, the more we spoke about it, you know, you come down a little bit and told me what was going on. Once you hear the hysterics, you know you have to get home, but then you have to figure out, okay, what's the next step, right? And it's by you explaining the situation, and I'm like, okay, the next step is, well, first I have to get home, but yeah. it sounded like there was more going on, and, that, and I ask you, what do you want to do? Do you want to talk to somebody? Do you want to see a doctor? Do you, and we've, we've had those conversations. Yeah. At least that's the way I remember it. Yeah. You may have a different recollection. So yeah. So from my perspective, it was pretty much simple. It's like, okay, I got a call. I go tell my boss, Hey, I have a family emergency. I have to go. At yeah. that point, you're not asking for permission. You're just telling them. You're leaving. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> Wherever I'm coming back is up to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I have a family emergency. I have to go. I will be canceling my meetings for the rest of the day, letting her know that's happening. So pack my bags and hop on the train. And because we had that conversation, I believe it was on the train yeah. that I knew that you were open to the possibility of talking to somebody. Yeah. So I called around, got a doctor who had an opening that afternoon and who was able to, yeah. to go see you. That's what happened from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's more that I'm missing, but... No, that's it. It was like, there's so much that felt like it was breaking for me in that moment. Like the fact that I wanted to do a mom of three perfectly. The fact that I was struggling. The fact that I'm a mental health professional who's now admitting that they're struggling. There was so many layers to that for me that it was unfortunate that it had to get to this breaking point. But I'm so grateful that it did because everything changed after that, right? And it makes me think about the people who are listening who find themselves like struggling with postpartum or anxiety or panic attacks or anything like that. Like, what do you need from your partner in those moments? And like, how do you ask for it? Because I think that I struggled to know what I needed, but I knew that I had to speak to my doctor. Like, I needed to get on a medication for postpartum depression. And I was not myself. And I think how to ask for that or ways that, like, just like you did, like when I was in a place where it was hard for me to ask or sort of even make the phone call to the doctor because I was having such a hard day, you kind of took over and you said, I'm on my way home. I'll call the doctor. I'll book the appointment. I'll come pick you up. We'll go together. And just not having to do even like the mental and invisible work of taking that step was so supportive. Like even if your partner for those listening can't physically take you or whatever the situation, like having you be involved spoke volumes about your support. I would say that it helps if the person is willing to accept the help. Yeah. Um, Because looking back at the situation, one 
phrase or word that kept coming back is I can't do this anymore. Mm. So when you kept saying, I can't do this anymore, I can't do this anymore, that's when I knew that was a cry for help or yeah. you were at your wit's hand and something had to happen, right? So that's when, like, I was like, I can't help you. <laughs> this is not my, <laughs> you know, this is well, not my Well, that's got to feel helpless. It's got to feel a little like, what do I do in this situation? Like, did it ever, were there ever moments of like, what is going on? I don't know what to do. Like, this isn't what I thought parenthood was. Like, was there any of that from your perspective? Well, thankfully, I didn't have any preconceived notions of parenthood. So as far as I'm concerned, you do, it's survival. That's what it is. <laughs> and this is yet, yet another hurdle, so to speak. <laughs> People are really going to get to know you. You are the chillest, most even keel, go with the flow person that it doesn't like there's not much that rattles your cage sort of like, you know, so to speak. So you really do roll with the punches or roll with the things that come up. Yes. <laughs> I'll say generally speaking, that's the case. Sometimes the kids do stuff that can get under mm. my skin. But I think that's most parents have like triggers <laughs> and there's certain <laughs> certain behaviors that I have a harder time supporting innate i don't know what the word right word is tolerating than yeah others, yeah that's true actually if there's one thing that i have seen that is sort of like your kryptonite in your like easygoing flaw is disrespect you do not tolerate or like or appreciate disrespect which is understandable i mean well yeah it's a bigger conversation but yeah. i come from a culture where you respect your elders you right. know and there's a lot that goes with that so I can take disrespect from other people. From your uh, own children. Yeah. Well, it, it depends. And even depends on how it happens. And and mostly it's I'm trying to correct the behavior or let them know, look, this is not acceptable or this is not nice. Yeah. You shouldn't say words like that. You should, you know, certain <laughs> behaviors are <laughs> like when like Gabe, like I never swear on the show. Am I allowed to swear on the show? It's my show. I I do what I want. So when we're like doing bath time routine and Gabe's like do my fucking lotion. And we look at each other like, where did you, we don't swear around the house. Like, where did you learn that word? Parenting has a way of throwing us some curveballs, And I think pushing buttons that we didn't even know were buttons, right? Like you and I living together before children had nothing on trying to wrangle a yeah. house of three kids. Yeah, for sure. But going back to your original question, it helps that you were asking for help and that I recognize this is a cry for help. And this is something that I'm not equipped, that I can't help with. So the best I can do is get assistance, so to speak. I can help. Let me get somebody who can, right? Yeah, somebody and who's trained in this exactly. or whatever. And we were on the same page. So I knew I came, I would come, I'll take over the kids' duty. I will, you know, give you the freedom, the flexibility to. Oh, that's true, actually. I don't think you went with me. You kept the kids and I went by myself yeah. to the appointment. That's my recollection. No, least. you're right. I'm I'm remembering it now because I'm like, where were the kids? <laughs> you you had the kids and I went on my own. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. People are really curious about what adjusting to fatherhood was like for you. Uh, we talk so much about adjusting our identity to motherhood and how all-consuming it can feel and how we have, you know, these expectations and the reality often looks different. Did you experience any of that in your adjustment to fatherhood? I can only speak on my own experience. Yeah. I didn't have preconceived notions on what it would be, right? So I didn't have an ideal in my mind. 
are just, again, as we said, <laughs> survival. It's roll with the punches, so to speak. So I was excited. Mm. and But I also realized that I had a lot to learn. So to me, I viewed it as a learning journey. There's a new life you're responsible for. You learn, especially the first time, you're learning everything from changing diapers. Yeah. Which I appreciate you giving me a few days <laughs> because I'm a germaphobe. So the first time I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Your germaphobeness has really come down a lot since having kids. Like you, you've gained some tolerance for some germs, I have to say. You can be a germaphobe and have kids. So the first one, like it lasted maybe four days until that was out the window. You so get, funny. You get puked on a few times. You know, you're changing a diaper, you get peed on. You have a full blowout, and that's the that's the end of of that. But yes, it was learning diapers, simple stuff like what's the right temperature for the bath. Yeah, and you know, so everything was a learning journey. Yeah. So I was just along for the ride to learn and make the best of the situation, be present, and assist in any way I can, knowing that there's something that I can do, others that I can't. For example, you were breastfeeding exclusively for the first few months. Yeah, I can really help with that. The best I can do is in the middle of the night, bring the kid over. Yeah. Right? So mm -hmm. that was my survival <laughs> approach. It's interesting because I don't know if I had, like, we, I say we all have, like, you are like, the chill is most easy going. So maybe you didn't have, but I feel like we all come in with some form of expectation or like some form of parenthood is sold to us in the media. And maybe you didn't latch on to that ideal. I don't know that I knew what motherhood was going to be, but I definitely didn't think it was going to be what, <laughs> what it is right now. Like running a ninja training camp and being woken up by like children who like scream for your <laughs> as like your alarm clock. So I think that, I don't know, it's... Can I say something quickly? Yeah. I'm listening to what you just said and it just occurred to me that maybe one of the reasons I didn't have any set in stone preconceived notions is because of the exposure to various cultures, in a sense that fatherhood looks very different in Western Africa, where I'm from, right. than it does even in the Middle East or in Europe or in Asia versus North America versus South America, right? right. So because I've been lucky to have traveled and explored all those cultures, I realized that fatherhood is what you make it. Right. So I didn't have an expectations of notions of what I should do or what a good father looks like. I just knew what I wanted to be like as a father. Right. If that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And it's more than just, you know, you traveled to a lot of cultures. Like you lived in a lot of different cultures for two to three years at a time growing up. And so you really did see many different examples of family structures or different cultures and things like that. And so that makes a lot of sense. We're here growing up in a North American culture that's very driven by media and Hollywood and marketing and capitalism. And, you know, that can, from a really young age, shape these preconceived ideas. Here is another really interesting one. What do you love most about being a father? Well, to me, it's all about spending time with the kids. Yeah. That's what it's about, watching them grow, develop, like see their personalities, right? Because we are three boys with three different personalities. They're and, so different. And yeah. it's amazing to see, well, at, they're all one month old and then, you know, they, they grow. It's amazing. The little one, for example, we can see his personality now, quite mm. expressive. 
um, very playful, fun, always happy, you know. So yeah, just watching them grow, mature, develop, and being around to A, spend time with them, but also B, guide them, direct them. I don't want to say mold them, but essentially making sure that they grow up to be upstanding members of society. <laughs> I don't know how to word it, but you know, like yeah. just, just being around. I would say that's my favorite part. And you're definitely really good at playing with the kids. Like playing is not my favorite unless we're like playing a board game or something that's structured or doing a craft. Like I like to do more like structured activities and you're really good to be like, you know, child led and you'll go play the basketball downstairs with them or you'll, our youngest is really into like imaginary play right now and you'll get right in there with him. So um, you definitely do get that play time and that, that time with them. This is a this is a question that makes me chuckle. <laughs> what was your reaction each time you found out you were going to be a dad? <laughs> it makes me chuckle because I guess a little little more personal disclosure, maybe some TMI, if you will, is that we were married and open to the idea of getting pregnant, not necessarily trying. I wouldn't say we made a conscious decision to try to conceive with any of our three children. So that's why I find this question a little bit entertaining. So the question it was, was my reaction? What was your reaction each time you found out you were going to be a dad? So like when I'm coming to you and I'm like, hey, babe, guess what? Look at this. I'm pregnant. Like, what was your reaction? Well, no, I'm, I may not be the best person to ask this simply because I'm I don't want to say I roll with the punches, but it's like, okay, it happened, you know? Yeah. Let's move forward, so to speak. Happy, of course, joy, realizing that you're going to be interested with raising yet and protecting yet another human being. Thankfully, we've had conversations from the beginning and we knew that we would try. Our maximum was free. We knew we would have two to three. And our conversation was always, if you have a boy and a girl, you can stop it there. If you have two boys or two girls, you may try for the third. Yeah. But once you have three of something, you stop there. <laughs> you know? Anything. That was, the other, yeah. that was the limit. So we were open to it, right? Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't a complete, it was a surprise, but it wasn't like a shock. Right. We were like at that stage of life. We were like ready to take that step. It wasn't like we had just started dating and then found out we were expecting or something like that. It was like we were married. We'd been together three or four years at that point. And it was sort of like what the gradual next step would be in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there was still a lot of like, oh, oh, crap. What are we getting ourselves into from my perspective? But yeah. I feel like I'm generally the more expressive person <laughs> anyways. So the reactions probably more came from me than from you. Because you you were carrying <laughs> the well, kid for nine months. This is true. It's my so body. Yeah. You are very much aware and attuned <laughs> to what's happening yeah and i just get the text go get me ice cream <laughs> and i do that <laughs> so it sounds like a stereotype but it's actually very accurate <laughs> it's very true yeah so my reaction each case was joy it's like this is awesome unexpected but awesome because we were open to it it wasn't a complete shock no, yeah like, all right so this is happening sooner than i thought it would but it's not that, like we didn't plan for it, right? Yeah. So in each case, the third one <laughs> was a little bit more of a surprise. Yeah. Because at that point, we have two boys 
do we stop it there? Do we go for a third? And if we do go for a third, do we do right away? Do we wait a few years? Space it out a bit. Exactly. And we knew that we were open to the possibility of a third. Yeah. But it didn't hurt to space it out. But Yeah. I literally had an IUD in my hand. I was waiting. Again, here we go with some TMI. My OB-GYN told me, we'll wait till we start your period and we'll put your IUD in. And that period just never came. And in came our third boy, really back to back. I was still breastfeeding our middle one, Gabe, and he was probably about eight months when we found out. So they were more close together than the first two. And so I think the surprise of that one was just not so much whether we were going to have a third because we were keeping that possibility open. We were making permanent decisions, but it was like how soon it happened. And then we had... We were thrown into this whirlwind of three, three and under, and it was just like chaos for a time. Yeah. So to me it was, oh, well, I guess this is happening. And um, and yeah, we were open to it. So it's all right with me. What it did mean is now we, the SUV has to go. You know, we try to put three seats back to back. We're like, okay, the SUV has to go. Yeah, well, there actually, were some... The mat- smaller car had to go to keep the SUV and we had to get a van and, you know, to figure all that stuff out. So right. it meant some some changes to prepare. But otherwise, we already had the change table. We already had the cribs. We already had the, you know, All everything. the boy clothes, all the boy toys. Like, not that there are specific toys for boys or things like that, but all the things that, you know, yeah. we'd accumulated. But we did know, okay, this is the third. And after that, we are... we're. Going up to free, this is the third boy or girl we are done, right? And turns out to be a boy. <laughs> so done. We are beyond <laughs> It doesn't done. change anything. Yeah. We're still done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anytime I like, I'm like, maybe I could go for a fourth, you know? It's usually when the children are sleeping or they're at school or daycare. And then they come home and I'm like, no, we're good. We are good with our three. We've got a like ninja training camp happening in the living room. And I am, you know... I'm good. I'm good. Um, This is a really interesting question. What was most helpful for you in understanding postpartum depression and anxiety? So what was helpful for you in understanding my experience and what I was going through? I'm thinking about the question. And to this day, I can't say that I fully understand what you are going through. Mm. Like, you know, it wasn't me. So I don't know all that's involved. I do know that you are having a hard time and I do know because you do a good job at communicating that it was becoming too much and that it was time for help, right? Yeah. So you went to talk to the professionals and you came up with a game plan, which you implemented. And in a matter of days, you started feeling better. And then you realize what a difference it made on the other side, like a cloud of fog had been lifted kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So I can say that I fully understood what was going on. I just knew that it was, you know, some assistant was needed and I was ill equipped to provide it. The best I can do is support by looking after the kids, looking after all the other stuff so that you have the time, the freedom to look after yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I remember at that time, like once I started to, like I knew all, I say I knew all the skills, like I knew a lot of the skills. I teach the coping skills for depression and anxiety for a living. Like I knew what I should be doing Mm -hmm. and I knew that I was doing those things and my mood was not improving. It was not helping me in the way that I needed it to. 
And so that's when we did some medication, like you set up that appointment. I did some medication and the both of us noticed in a matter of like a week, hey, like everything shifted from there. I was enjoying my role in motherhood and not dreading and resenting waking up every single day. And the on edge and irritability and like the zoning out and tuning out like on my phone all the time and these types of things I feel like really started to shift after that. That's one point I can say is just be aware of behavior, generally speaking. So I can't claim to understand, but I do see when something is different. Yeah. And we had the conversations that I did notice you were on your phone more than usual. You were on your phone a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm not there during the day, so I don't know what's going on. But on the weekends, I can see that, you know, I'll be, hey, so-and-so is trying to get your attention. Yeah. And you were zoned out. You were on your phone. So I'll say, everything okay? What's going on, right? Yeah. So essentially, knowing your partner enough to be able to notice a change, a behavior change, and having those conversations. Yeah. What else from your perspective changed, do you think? I was definitely on my phone a lot. And I think that that was because like I would I would start my day at my threshold of what I could deal with. Like just waking up, I was already at my threshold of like, you know, I have to get out of bed today. Like this sucks. And then something would go sideways with kids because it always does. And then I would like, rather than lash out, which is what I would want to do, I would shut down. And so I would scroll my phone. That was to me the lesser of the evils in a way or whatever, like the more regulated way of coping rather than lash out at the kids. I would, I just literally would check out and like be on my phone, which makes sense. Yeah. But that was not typical or characteristic of me. Like what other things might you have noticed that maybe other partners can even, if this rings true for them or, you know, maybe it doesn't, might they notice or see Well, that's why I say knowing your partner and knowing their personality, because you, for example, are very outgoing, social, you like to do things. Yeah. And so when weekend rolls around and you rather stay home, I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that something is going on, but it's uncharacteristic. If it persists, especially. Exactly. And when that happens day after day, then it's like, okay, what's going on there, right? Yeah. Um, So again, I'm... I may not be the best person to ask simply because I was, as you said, I had like 13 hour days. So when I came, it was mostly do the bath, dinner, bath, put them to bed. And then you were up and out before the household even woke up in those days. Oh my gosh. Thank God it's different now. Happy corporate <laughs> retirement. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> that was another question, actually, like advice to dads that work a lot because it must feel or maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Like I know from my perspective, seeing you walk out the door for 12 hours of like individual, like autonomous, still holding some part of your own identity time in those days. And I was stuck at home with these three young children. Even though I consciously knew we made this decision for our family, Mm -hmm. this is how we're being supported. This isn't you not wanting to be with us. This is you 
Providing. Paying, paying the bills. That's it. And, yeah. <laughs> and like it, putting our family first by going to work and doing these things. But part of my loss or like shift in identity at the time sort of felt like, oh, you have all this freedom. And, you know, here I am stuck at home. I, I bet it didn't feel like freedom. What did it feel like to have to work so much during that time? And how did you? I'll say everybody's different. It boils down to the values, mm. right? Number one, what your values are. And me, family is up there, right? So to me, it didn't feel pleasant to walk away, like to be up at 6 a.m. and out the door by 7. And, you know, and as you mentioned, I had quite a long commute. Door to door, it was at least close to two hours, door to door. So it was three and a half to four hours a day commuting. Thankfully, yeah. you know, I have books and whatnot to keep me busy. But it's not something that I particularly enjoy or something that I wanted to do. It's something that I had to do because we have a mortgage, we have payments, we have, yeah, you know, and with kids, kids are not cheap, diapers and whatnot. So yeah. it was part of, that was the way I supported the family. So to parents like myself, corporate roles, you know, working all the time. And I had travels too, which was different, but long story well, short. Well, yeah, or like I remember like it could be because you would take the train in and out of work, um, like in the winter months specifically, they'd be like, oh, there's a track issue on the train. You're like, oh, babe, like I'm so sorry. Like the train is going to be delayed. And I'm just like <laughs> counting down the seconds until you walk in the door after being gone all day, you know? And like you probably not wanting to deliver that message, knowing, you know, that you've been away all day and you also just wanting to get home to the family, right? Yeah. Yeah. So because family is one of my top values, right? If not the top value, I'm trying to think about the other ones, but family is up there, but also understanding that. So there's the values, but there's also the priorities and priorities can be long-term priorities, generally speaking, or they can be for this season, for this time. Yeah. And we knew, especially when the kids are young and everything else, that it's not something that Spending so much time at work is contrary to my number one value, but it's something that I have to prioritize for the sake of the family security and everything else, right? Yeah. Um, and it's temporary. So your question was, what advice would I give to parents? Who have to work a lot and yeah. Communication is key. You need to have an honest conversation with your spouse and it's tough. It's not pleasant. It depends, again, on your value. If your value, and I'm going back, but based on my experience, my dad, for example, worked a lot, right? Um, and traveled for work a lot. Worked a lot, traveled for work a lot. So that's my experience. And as much as I like work, and you know that I'm very ambitious, I like work, I take on challenges all the time, I think family comes first. It's interesting because he prioritized family, but in a very different way than you do, because for him, prioritizing family was providing and giving you guys a different life than what he had. And so that he prioritized family by providing. And that yeah. meant taking him away from you guys often, yeah. right? Where your idea of prioritizing family is like relational, like more relational than that and, and more present than that, right? like your physical presence more often than that. Yeah. Situations vary. And I think one of the reasons why I want to spend more time with the kids, and that's one of my number one values, is because of my experience growing up. Right. You know, having a dad that's always traveling. There's no resentment at all. Like, I understand why he did that. And I'm thankful because if it wasn't for his sacrifices, I wouldn't be where I am today, right? Yeah. So I'm definitely thankful for all the sacrifices. In our situation, we have the basics 
So, you know, it's completely different. Um, but yeah, comes down to values, comes down to situation, financial and otherwise, comes down to priorities for the time being. Yeah. And I knew that it was going to be a tough go. And I was also having a hard time because I didn't particularly enjoy what I was doing at the time. Yeah, right? it was a means of providing at the time. But I knew it is what it is for the time being, as long as the partner understands that it's not that I particularly enjoy it, but I'm doing it for the family. And if, and we can discuss, you know, alternatives. And if it looks like getting a separate job closer to home, by all means, you know, that everything is on the table, right? But it has to be a team effort. Well, and I think I daydreamed about that because there was a part of me that was so like envious. And we talk about this, um, Asherina and I, Psyched Mommy and I, in our resentment course and other places, like when I'm looking at you and I'm resenting your ability to walk out the door and your freedom, what that really is highlighting is my unmet needs of like feeling like the load is disproportionately shifted in my position or like in my direction. And fast forward now, what our youngest is three and a half. Like you were working during a time when I was taking maternity leaves. We're very fortunate in Canada to have paid and secured time off still at like a very reduced wage, but, you know, still don't have to return back to work like six weeks postpartum or something. And so financially, we were taking big hits for these maternity leaves. And so you were working, you were gone all day long. And then, you know, Axel, our youngest was about one year, a year and a bit when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And everything changed. Like that was a complete a renegotiation of all of our household duties for a couple of reasons. One, you were working from home. Two, I was building a business. And you being there for those transition times in the day, like the morning routine and dinner time, totally changed the game for me. And I honestly think that I wouldn't be able to build the Happy is Another platform in the way that I do or at the speed that I have, let's say, if it wasn't for a shift in those loads and responsibilities. If I had to carry and maintain all that, because in all honesty, now at like three and a half years after our last, you shoulder the majority of the household responsibilities, I would say. Yeah. It's interesting because it makes me think of, you. the question was, what about the dads that are working, right? But it makes me think about the moms that yeah. are working as well and that may have a disproportionate amount of household chores and tasks that fall on them. Yeah. Like how, it's a whole different conversation, but like the career trajectory and everything else as a result of that. But to to answer your question, which wasn't really a question, <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because again, family, number one value. So when COVID hits and I'm finally able to spend more time at home, I'm loving it, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and I'm involved in everything from pickup to drop off to in between grocery shopping and, you know, everything. And I enjoy it. So yeah. Corporate retirement. You got to officially retire from going downtown. And I think I had shared that because I had shared, we got you a cake that said like, happy corporate retirement because you were stepping out to do, you know, your own things and you've got a role within happy as a mother and you've got your own stuff going on and you're finishing your MBA. And, and so how is corporate retirement life treating you? People are curious. Surprisingly, I'm busier now than I was <laughs> when I was, when I was juggling. Well, I'm still, I think the challenge is that 
it's still full-time work, which, whichever way you look at it. Right? Yeah, you're still working. I'm and so- we're building, like you're building your company. <clears throat> you've got your MBA. I'm working on my business. So we're still very busy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't expect that. I didn't think I'll be as busy or busier. I thought that by leaving full-time corporate work, I will have more capacity and freedom, more flexibility, generally speaking. What happened is in anticipation of leaving the full-time job, I picked up other duties, responsibilities, projects. And so to answer the question is going great. I love it. I'm still quite busy, but I get to do more of the stuff that I choose to do, right? Or that has to be done. Like yesterday was grocery shopping yeah. <laughs> in the afternoon. You know, it's not the nine to five where you have your team meetings and everything else. It's okay. Well, I have this deliverable that I can do from 9 p.m. to midnight. And the grocery store, Costco is not going to be open then. So I'm going to fit Costco in from three to five and like yeah. That. So more flexibility, just but just as much work, if not more. But to answer the question, I'm I'm quite lacking it. One of the interesting pieces of that is now that you have more flexibility, I also have more flexibility, and this is something that I talk about with clients often: is that we are tethered together as a unit, and before we could make individual decisions that only impacted us. But now our decisions are tethered to one another. For example, when we were in the postpartum period and you were doing all these like licensing programs and I would be like, ah, (laughs) please don't, please don't take on like a program or like a certificate or a training or something right now because like that will limit my access to you because you will have a deadline, you will have assignments. You will have responsibilities outside of work, which you are already doing 12 hours a day. And so you taking on something that felt like a very individual decision or choice to make actually impacted your ability to support me during that time. Mm -hmm. And we openly talk about this often. So now that you have retired from corporate and are doing the entrepreneurial life, I also have more freedom and flexibility because, for example, I was in meetings all day yesterday, literally, and you were the one that could go get the groceries before then going to pick up the boys. And usually that would have all fallen on me when you're in corporate. So that flexibility, I feel like, has been gained by both of us, but it's been the shift in your schedule. See what I mean? It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, the situational piece, which COVID changed for us. But there's also the communication aspect, right? Yeah. Because the groceries and all that stuff still had to be done. And from what I recall, I think I was always doing... You would do groceries on your way home from the train sometimes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's certain certain responsibilities. And you've always been the one like to do the laundry. I don't even know how to work our laundry machine, (laughs) which, you know. So there's certain responsibilities that you've always held, Mm -hmm. even when you were working. And I think that... It alleviates some of the pressure or you're, you're going to bed before 3 a.m., <laughs> you know, because sometimes when you were doing those trainings or assignments and things, you would, you'd be pulling very late nights. Okay. We made it. We, we did it. And, it. and we got through our awkwardness. I feel like, you know, we don't sit down and chat about, especially these postpartum stages, we haven't reflected on together very often. So. No, that's true. Um. Looking back, I think 
it has always been the case, but what's highlighted in my mind is the communication, like the honest, frank conversations, communication. You have to be able to to discuss it, to discuss how you're feeling, what's going on, your capacity, your limitations, you know, and the person has to be responsive to it and mm. has open dialogues. And I think that's what helped us. That's what typically <laughs> helped us in all the parenting challenges. So to me, that's the biggest takeaway, but I don't know how to put it in terms of like actionable steps, right? Because yeah. going back to my disclaimer, <laughs> your audience is used to people giving them actionable steps. Yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> well, you are a very good communicator. And that's why I joke about the fact that you're like my therapist, because you are a very good communicator. And if that is a skill that we lacked, there would be no shame in us going to meet with a therapist or somebody to help us with those conversations. Because the conversations when you become a parent are high stakes, right? And uh, they feel really big. And often they have a lot of implications. And so being able to talk them through openly and honestly is really important. I have one final question for you. I'm listening. <laughs> How does it feel to be married to a badass bitch? <laughs> I can't even say it seriously. <laughs> a badass bitch. How does it feel? How does it feel to be married to... <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm supposed to answer this. <laughs> I don't know that it's the right answer. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to describe, but it's so funny. I don't know that it's the right answer. I know the wrong answer is I let you know when. <laughs> oh, that's not funny. <laughs> that is definitely the wrong answer. There you go. I know what not to do. I don't quite know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting that. <laughs> no, but uh, but seriously, I see all the work that you put in. Lots of people don't realize how much of it is free. I will say most of it is free. You've been doing it for a few years. At least the first few years were completely unpaid. Uh, yeah, completely unpaid. But you stuck through it simply because of the passion that you have for motherhood, for the community. And you're giving so much of yourself, evenings and weekends, you're at your computer, you're putting out content, you're coming up with various ways to help mothers. So that's something that I see and that I appreciate. And yeah, I'm incredibly proud of all the work that you've put in and how far you have come. Now, from a passion project, it evolved into a full-fledged business, mm -hmm. both US, Canada and beyond. And uh, you're building up on that. There's the podcast. There is the wellness center. Now you even have your own merch. You have more in the pipeline. So it's exciting to see. I see all the hard work and I see that it's paying off, which is exciting to see. So I'm incredibly proud <laughs> of what you've built so far. And I can't wait to see what's next. That was the right answer for the record. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I didn't pay you to say that, but I do sleep beside you at night. So, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, no, thank you, babe, for coming. I know that you are a pretty private person. And so it may have been weird for me to recruit you and bring you on the podcast in such like an open forum. But this is just about letting people get to know us and our story a little bit more. If you feel like you resonated with some of those challenges like we did and like me, especially in the postpartum period or 
looking for ways to bring your partner in in a supportive role, you can check out our wellness center. It serves multiple provinces across Canada or Postpartum Support International for those who are not in Canada. And you can come up with plans or have a therapist who can help to guide you in working together as a team when it feels like you might not be communicating effectively during that time or whatever. So there are resources out there for you guys if you need them. And uh, thanks again, babe, for coming on the show. My pleasure. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.